Good evening, Wisdom Eccentrics by Nakchang Rumshi, Chapter 33, Part 1. I bade Rinpoche and Jomo Sampal Dechen goodbye, as I had yet to pack for departure early the next day. Lama Gyaltsen and Kandro Tenzindrolka would follow me later. I went back to my room where I wept, because it might be 13 years before I saw him again. Big hero. Chapter 33 Cambazola and Stilton. I'd read The Outsider by Albert Camus back in 69. I enjoyed the book but felt nothing like the character. He received howls of execration prior to his execution. At the age of 16, a book like that has an appeal that it lacks later in life. I had little experience of being an outsider. I had friends aplenty, extremely good friends. I understood them and they understood me, as far as anyone could reasonably expect. My two best friends died in 1970 and life began to close in somewhat. I was no longer the vocalist and rhythm bass player of the hottest British blues band since Cream. The lead guitarist and bass guitarist were my two best friends. I went to art school that autumn and then year by year watched an era dwindling. By 75, all that was creatively exciting about the late 60s was dead. I first went to India and Nepal in 71, and from that time on I'd hoped to find a Buddhist peer group in the same way I'd had arts and blues music peer groups. But I found myself, more or less, to have become quite like the character penned by Albert Camus. It wasn't the best fun I'd ever had, but it wasn't terrible either. My lamas had taught me not to make too much of praise and blame, meeting and parting, hope and fear, gain and loss, etc. So I bit the bullet and made the best of things. It would be gauche, if not puerile, to bemoan a fate I'd built with my own perspective. Would I have wished to absorb the view of those around me? Would I have been critical of those aspects of my personality of which they were critical? Would I have learnt to be a proper Western Buddhist who gave all the proper responses? The answer would be no to all three. The prospect would have been far less appealing than being isolated. Enough with the quetching already. I'd kept the one photograph that Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche allowed me to make of him and tried to live the view according to the felt texture of his transmission. I always desired to see Rinpoche again, but he never lived in one place for long. He had residences in various places, 
but never gave any indication to anyone where he'd be at any one time. The situation didn't work out in terms of meeting Chimirigs in Rinpoche till 1978. So I studied with Yeshe Dorje Rinpoche in MacLeod Gange off and on as time allowed. I met with other amazing Nyingma Lamas, but this book isn't intended to be an autobiographical itemization of my training. Suffice it to say that I completed my retreats and practice commitments between 1975 and 1983. In 1978, by complete fluke, I heard that Jimmy Riggs in Rinpoche would be coming to Britain to stay at a house in Tintagel, which had an atmosphere like something out of a Dennis Wheatley horror story. The circumstances were vaguely hideous vis-à-vis those who'd invited him. But hey, they'd invited him, so who was I to be picky? I made my connection with Chimmy Riggs in Rimshe, maybe all the better for the antipathy of those involved, and invited him and his daughter, Nordzin Lamo, to visit on his way to Bristol, where he was to teach for a few days before returning to London. Whilst in Tintagel, I had a marvellous time with Chimmy Riggs in Rimshe and Nordzin Lamo as they spent a considerable time away from the Outre abode in which they were quartered. Magic was the main interest in Tintagel, be it the eastern or western miscellany of misbegotten maundering Maharunisms. Eye of newt and toe of frog, wool of bat and tongue of dog, adder's fork and blindworm's sting, lizard's leg, and howlet's wing, for a charm of powerful trouble, like a hell broth, boil and bubble. Apart from Shakespeare, there's only so much of that that any sane person can handle. And it was thus that I spent a great deal of time in the local pub, talking with Jimmy Riggs in Rimshe. It was there that he asked me why I was vegetarian. Why are you not meat-eating and alcohol-drinking, you Hindu yogi? No, Rinpoche. Then you must be meat-eating and alcohol-drinking. I went to the bar and ordered a steak and kidney pie to nibble with my brandy and never looked back. It's true I always ate meat when it was offered to me by Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche, and I always drank the alcoholic beverages that he was so kind as to lavish upon me. But other than that, I'd been vegetarian and abstemious throughout. Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche had told me that the time would come when I'd change my diet, and this was obviously the time. I'd gone to see Jimmy Riggs in Rinpoche on my motorcycle with a friend similarly equipped, and one day we took Rimshe and Nordzin Lamo to the seaside for the day. They had expressed a desire to get a little more distance between them and their horror story hosts, and so we set off for the sea.
My friend Reg took Nordin Lamo and I took Rimpshe. Having a Tertong ride pillion was slightly nerve-wracking. The thought of having an accident seemed far more possible than it had ever been, and for no reason whatsoever. Rinpoche, although he had never straddled a motorcycle before, was an utter natural, leaning into the bends and seeming to enjoy the experience. We got to the seaside and spent an excellent day in which Rinpoche spoke at length on many subjects. The following week I borrowed a car and collected Rinpoche and Nordzin Lamo. I'd arranged a Chinese meal and organised with friends to set the thing up for our arrival. I'd found out that Rinpoche loved cheese and so I got in a selection of splendid cheeses. I made sure I got a whole round of Cambazola on the off chance that he might like it and I wanted to make sure that I got to eat some of it. We settled down in the living room after our Chinese repast and after a while I made coffee and brought out the cheese and crackers. Of course, Rinpoche took one look at the Cambazola and carved off a wedge. He ate it. He smiled. He carved another wedge. He ate that too. This cheese is too good. I am much enjoying, he grinned. He picked up the rest of the round and it was eaten with unusual rapidity. Yes, Rinpoche, I replied. It's my favourite. I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was then that I first suspected that Rinpoche was going to mess with me. The other cheese that Rinpoche enjoyed at my place had been the Stilton, and so we took a whole round off to Bristol where he was to teach. He got the host to melt it down with some white wine for him and sent me off to buy some chilies. Now, I'd never eaten chilies even though I'd spent long stretches in India, and so I had no idea what they were like. I knew they were hot, and so I'd avoided them. Once the melted Stilton was served up, Rinpoche began dipping the green chilies in and eating them one after another. You must be eating, Rinpoche said, passing me a chilli. Aren't they very hot, Rinpoche? No, not so hot. Not like in India. And with cheese is very sweet to taste. You will like. I thanked Rinpoche and dipped my chilli in the Stilton. I took a healthy bite and the first sensation was sweet and pleasant. The pleasure lasted for all of a second and then all hell broke loose. The hosts were very kind and provided me with milk to hold in my mouth to calm the effect of the chilli. Now I'm not one of those people who make a hobby out of being allergic, but chilli brings me out in severe prickly heat, 
I get a dry, hacking cough and my temperature rises. I didn't know that at the time, but I knew it thereafter. I also realised that my earlier suspicion was accurate. Rinpoche was definitely going to mess with me. Now, if I had reverted to being a Tomyor again, I could have bailed out at that point. Life had been gloriously simple for a while, and I hadn't been in any tearing hurry to plunge into the abyss of mind-altering mayhem. I was, however, committed to following Kunzangdorje Rinpoche's advice with regard to studying with Chimmy Riggs in Rinpoche. And so I grinned, as I usually did, just before I took the plunge. Chimmy Riggs in Rinpoche reminded me in some ways of Kunzangdorje Rinpoche, something in the eyes, but he was entirely different. They were both wrathful lamas, and so one could be forgiven for imagining that they would work in a similar way. That, however, would be to misunderstand the nature of wrath in this sense. Wrath, with respect to a lama, relates to energy, and energy can be manifested in endless modes according to precise circumstances. Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche's wrath was extremely direct, and Chimmy Rigsin Rinpoche's wrath was oblique and multifaceted. Both could be severe, and both were extremely warm and kind, but again in radically different ways. Chimmy Rigsin Rinpoche was unpredictably unpredictable rather than angry. He was stern sometimes and severe, but also extremely gentle. He seemed to be able to gauge what anyone could handle. My training with Chimmy Riggs in Rinpoche was of a different order to that which I had received from Kunzang Dorje Rinpoche, but it was similar in that it was largely experiential. Most of what I received from him came in the form of informal symbolic transmission. I did practice Chung Ter and Kordung Ter with him to some degree, but he did not press me to take on too much that was liturgically based. By 1983, I had my first students. Jimmy Riggs and Rinpoche got to know many of them quite well over the years. This was why he never encouraged me to practice with his students. I was an anomaly. I was possibly the only Western person to have students in the context of Vajrayana at that time, and it had occurred by accident. <laughs>